Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Noah Denzel with me. While living between a boat, a grandmother's basement, and the open road, Noah and his co-founder, Brian Hahn, raised 161000 on Kickstarter in the summer of 2012 and about 172000 in 2013 on Indiegogo. Their mission was to reinvent a USB cable with their first product, ChargeCard. Nomad creates minimalist smartphone accessories. Today, we're talking with Noah to share the story of starting and growing Nomad. Welcome. George, thank you for having me on the show. Great to talk with you. Thank you very much for being here, Noah. You've started Nomad in 2012. What were you doing prior to Nomad? So correct. It's been just about two years since we launched, uh, the summer that we launched. Um, Obviously, we were doing some some R&D and so forth in the months prior to our initial Kickstarter campaign. From 2010, when I graduated in college, I went to Dartmouth College, graduated in June of 2010. I moved to Spain for a year and a half to work at my brother's company that he had started there five years prior, which was a, which is an online social network, kind of like the Facebook of Spain. It's called 20.com. And it was a great opportunity. They had grown the company into several hundred people by the time I joined. But I had a great opportunity to work with a lot of really talented people, work with a fast-growing organization that had a strong startup culture and had an incredible focus on design, on user experience, on product, and on innovation. So I was able to see a lot but there, but not, not only those things, but also the challenges that it comes with, with a company, with running a company, with building a company, with with, with all of that. Um, it, and uh, I was able to have a great opportunity over there. And, and I did, I also experienced this problem where phones were always dying and I was looking for a solution. And that's where, that was sort of the germ of the idea was solving this pain point that everyone felt. And that's where the idea of charge card came. And, um, from there I moved back to the States in the end of 2011 and, uh, met up with, uh, put, you know, started working with Brian and, and, um, uh, Adam, we we uh, we uh, putting together a team, and we we began what initially be, was Charge Card, and then soon became Nomad. And uh, with Nomad, of course, as you've seen, we're not just develop, you know, we're not we're not just the Charge Card and the key, but we've launched some really cool new products as well. So what we've done is we've taken everything where we started, and we've we've built in this into a into a company that continues to create great minimalist mobile accessories. So how did, how did you decide that crowdfunding was the way to go? That's a great question. My Working over in, in 20 at a software company, you know, at, at an internet company, they had raised all their funds through traditional angels and later VC and VC rounds. So there's, you know, that, the, oh, that seems to be the route to go but it was at the time. But this was also a time where the summer of 2012 where we were beginning to see a lot of, or I guess in, even in 2011, we were seeing a lot of really cool projects start to come from Kickstarter. We've things like Pebble. Um, there were just amazing projects that were coming about. And I saw this opportunity where you, we could raise the funds to get Nomad off the ground. And at the same time, we can prove the market demand for our product and see if are we a couple of crazy guys with a crazy idea that people don't want, or 
are is our crazy idea actually the thing that everyone really has been waiting for and it's a problem it's we're solving a problem that, that everyone has and what we ultimately saw in the 5500 backers that we got on Kickstarter in the similar number we got later on Indiegogo for our second product and the many more people who uh, were pre-ordering and purchasing our products online before we went into shipping them is that there was just this incredible demand for what we were doing. And that's really fulfilling for the, the early momentum that it takes to get something off the ground is you have 5,500 people out there who said they voted with their dollars and they said, look, I'm willing to wait however many months, six months or whatever it might be, but I love what you're doing. And that proves, that shows that there's also going to be, um, in the press, the press wrote everything up and they loved it and they were waiting for their, you know, review units when we're finished with production. And, and that shows that, hey, maybe we're onto something here. Maybe, maybe there is demand for this. And that's really helpful when you have a consumer good that does, this, uh, does yeah. Does a Kickstarter, you think, gives you more freedom than going the traditional VC route? I think that they, they both come with different, with different freedoms and constraints. Um, you certainly get the freedom of, of having raised a bunch of money and you can kind of do up what you want with it in terms of how you want to go about building a company and delivering your products. So I think that type of freedom is, is great for all of the, everything that it takes to get a project off the ground. But, you know, when, when you go with, VC or maybe angels, if you get the right angels early on, you know, you do get a lot of benefits there too of having stakeholders who have a financial incentive for the company to move forward. Um, they've put a lot of money down. So we got 5,500 people that all put a little bit of money down. So they wanted to get their thing. And of course they wanted us to be successful, but their, their buy-in wasn't uh, substantial in terms of their concern for, uh, you know, company and product objectives and so forth. So when you do that more traditional route, you can, from an early stage, you can have advisors, um, you know, key, key players with buy-in who care to move things forward. So while it does come with a lot of freedom, which has been great, and I think it, it was incredible for us to launch. Um, I don't know today how things would have gone had we done it differently. So I'm very grateful to the Kickstarter campaign that we ran, and I think that it's a huge part of our success. Um, I do know that going the other route, though it comes with certain, you know, certain, so it's different, it comes with certain constraints, you obviously have to give up a lot of equity very early on. So in your early stage company, when you go the VC route or the angel route, you give up a significant portion of equity early on. So if you're able to get a little bit further along, in terms of the entrepreneur's perspective, it's great to have that additional control. But, you know, there, there comes a time when, um, and right now, for example, we're fundraising, we're doing a raise, or we're raising uh, our first seed round, because there, there can become a time when our growth ambitions um, are, are such that we want to get into retail, we want to do big things, and running the business just off of sales alone to date has been great for getting all these customers and building this out. But if we really want to turn this thing into a big brand that we see ourselves as doing, um, we 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 you know, we could use some outside capital to really hit those growth ambitions. And I think that's a reason that a lot of companies and early stage companies take on venture capital in the same sense that venture capitalists and so forth and those types of investors, the, the reason that they're in it at all is just to, to put some money down to create the possibility of just hyper, hyper growth. 
right? Use this money and grow, 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 higher growth, blow things up. So, so for us, we've been very lean. We've been incredibly lean and bootstrapped and about as lean as you can get, which has been great for building a culture of you know, minimalism and efficiency and um, all the things that I think are necessary for us to hack our way into this hardware world where it's dominated by bigger, more resource players. But we're at a time now where I understand that having some of that outside capital can really help once you have the once you know what you need it for and how you're going to use it to make those key hires to scale production and to, to take those big steps. So there is a time yeah. when I think companies can use outside capital depending on what their growth ambitions are. Yeah, especially when you're creating stuff, physical products, it's different than software too, right? I mean, uh, it's just so much more expensive to scale anything up like that. Exactly. Um, it's, it's crazy, you know, and we're talking about all these retail numbers. When you do scale it up, it's great. You know, it's great. We got all this, all this growth. Then you've got to pay for all that. And when you're going to retailers, you have to actually pay for it up front. Someone was just telling me yesterday, and they're making the point, and it's kind of true, you're essentially kind of a bank for a while, in a way, for these retailers. You've got to get the stuff and make it. And I understand that's how the, the system works, but, but we've got to make the stuff because they, they've got their own battles that they're working on and their own strategy and, and so forth. So we've got to make the stuff, get it on a boat, ship it over here, get it onto the shelves. Then after it sells, we eventually get paid. And, of course, there's ways to finance that along the way. But the cost of and, and if and, and that's if everything's everything's going great, and then let's say it scales and the the order sizes grow larger. Well, we've as the you know as a product creator, you know we have to we have to pay for all that stuff up front. So we have to do long lead time. We have to order parts way in advance that we use in production, and then we then ship over here and then get them into a warehouse. So there's all kinds of costs that come with scale. And it's part of the challenge, but it's part of the opportunity. So, so, um, so let's talk about, let's talk about validation a little bit, because uh, I, I want to, you know, find out how you validate your products. Initially, uh, it sounds like, you know, Kickstarter was a pretty good way to validate. Uh, but did you do anything else or are you doing anything else today? So when we started, you know, we were an uh, incredibly small little team, a couple of guys. And, well, we shared a, our initial idea with a couple people. We were very careful about it because one thing that you need to be careful about doing when we're, is, is getting the idea, uh, if the idea is shared too much and, it, and it's shared online or something, then you lose the ability to patent it or to get certain intellectual property. So we've got to be super careful with our ideas. So there's always that that that. Uh, tricky medium of how do we get enough feedback to know if we're on to something good while not sharing too much so we lose some of the protection for it. And a lot of it is a guttural design and product instinct, which goes down to our core and what we believe in to be a good product. When we launched our second product, Charge Key, um, I, I remember someone was asking us, you know, hey, well, are you sure it's going to do as well as Charge Card? I mean, the card's cool, but I don't know about the key. What market research did you do? I was like, we're a startup. We don't do a ton of market research. We don't have those resources, We, but we believe in what we believe is a good product. That's our core. That's our core DNA as a company. And we launched the product, and it ended up outselling ChargeGuard, doing even better, and people loved it, and the press and the consumers and customer base and everyone loved it. So if you have to have some instinct 
where your core is because that's what's going to drive you home. And if your core is product design and development, you need to believe in what you're doing and the ability for it to be a great product. That being said, get some good feedback. I run it by people who I know and trust who I think have good feedback and you need to wrestle with that feedback. Not all good feedback is the right feedback, but it's good to help you think through it and decide ultimately, is this a good product? Is this going to be successful? And I think the more that you do that, the more experience that you get, you, you know, you hope to know if it's going to be a good product or not. Just today, as we're talking, Apple's announcing the iWatch and they've never unveiled it to anybody, but they clearly know what they're doing and they're, they have a pretty good track record of producing constant hits because product is at their core and they believe what they're doing when they announce it. Uh, the, the world, the world loves it, even though it's the first time they've heard so, it. So let's talk about the pressures of now, you know, you know, Kickstarter and, you know, there's, you know, 5,500 um, people uh, first time and then about the same time, uh, same numbers the second time, um, just a year later. What kind of pressures does that put on you to now have to build the product and deliver? So we've delivered all of those, um, all of those backers long ago, but we continue to pre-sell some of our products on our website. So if we're shipping them in the fall, we're pre-selling them now. It puts a lot of pressure on the organization, and like any sort of pressure, pressure is good, and and it can be stressful as well. And it's good to manage that and work in it, with it productively. But we have a lot of customers and a lot of people who have pre-ordered and are waiting on their products. And that comes with the pressure of delivery. We have to deliver. And now we've delivered over 100,000 products to date, but we have many more to deliver along the way. And we need to deliver them with good quality, with great quality, uh, and meet the expectations and demands of all these people. So when you have thousands of people waiting, we have a lot of customer inquiries. We have a lot of questions. And for us, we really need to, um, we, we really need to make sure that we're we're, uh, that we're hitting our deadlines because we commit to deadlines publicly. And deadlines can be you know, several months out. They're hard to predict exactly when production will start and go. So it does create a lot of pressure. And you know, pre-purchasers and customers and so forth, they are the lifeblood of a company like ours. So we need to be very careful about how we manage and meet expectations and deliver on great products. Uh, so it, there's a, definitely a lot there, and I think that's one of the, that's something where when people take on the VC, they have a bunch of money. They have a, they have a little bit of a luxury of having a bunch of cash they're sitting on that allows them to get all the way to the point of delivery before they launch. So so those are some of the challenges as a company that's been fully financed on sales today has to deal with. But also we've proven ourselves able able to do that over time. So. So, so what about the challenges with with manufacturing uh, and you know delays dealing with delays? I mean, I I saw posts on uh, Facebook back in November 2013. People have been complaining about delays and other issues. Yeah. So how? I mean, some of it is out of your control, right? So, but you still have to deal with it as a company. So, what kind of systems are you able to put into place to to minimize all that? So one of the best things is just the, the more and more experience that we get, the more we can understand what are the known unknowns. What are things we know might get in the way and delay things? Or like what, what, are, what are things that we know could sort of pop up and we can imagine they could pop up and being able to better plan for that. So when we started this all two years ago, 
we didn't have enough experience to really plan the delivery timeline and production timeline. Um, while we moved incredibly fast and we still do move really fast in the world of manufacturing, that's something that we have to do as an early stage company, as a, but is uh, at the same time, the more that you know about how manufacturing works, how certifications work, how materials work, how production and scheduling works and the shipping and import and customs, the more that you can actually make much better decisions on with what, where, and when, and, and all of that, rather than guesses and saying, yeah, I think we'll be able to do it by X amount of months, but saying, I believe we can do it by X amount of months because I've got it charted out, and I've planned for the big knowns, and I've planned some space for the unknowns of things that could come up. And then that you always get, and this is the hardest thing to plan for, the unknowns unknowns, where you didn't even realize that something you didn't even know about could get in the way. So it's important to build in a buffer. It's important to work fast and having more experience allows you to better plan and things will come up. And I think what tests the company is the way that the company responds to and learns more and is able to resolve issues and move forward. So in terms of timing, making sure to give yourself enough time, but also setting dates that, are aggressive to drive to, 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 to drive forward as a startup, which is something you need to do is deliver fast. And it's a challenge. Uh, have you ever considered uh, licensing as opposed to going to full-blown manufacturing and building your own brand? Yeah, licensing is certainly an option for certain products and technologies. And, and um, you know, we're not opposed to something like that down the line when it makes sense. Uh, right now, we're building a you know, consumer products brand and um, our our products and our supply chain is is a core aspect of, of what we do. Um, my co-founder Brian just got back from two months in China, and he'll be back there in a week for another month. So we're a really boots on the ground operation there, working directly with factories, and that really helps us and allows us to have a really core understanding of supply chain and what that means and how it works and how we can what are the bottlenecks, how can we improve things. But it also goes back to product, because if you want to truly make great product, you need to really understand and control the manufacturing to make sure that we are hitting our expectations and hitting our product expectations, but also understanding the extremes and the limits of what we can do technically on the manufacturing side to make sure that we're pushing those on the product side. So having that on-the-ground core supply chain uh, in factory knowledge, know-how, and presence is incredibly important to what we're doing with Nomad. So uh, let's talk about knockoffs. Uh, so on, uh, I saw on Facebook some people posting about eight-dollar knockoffs, and this is not unique to Nomad. I mean, anything you make, there will be knockoffs. So how do you fight that? Can you even fight it? When I saw the first knockoffs of Charge Card, I admittedly was a little upset and ordered some of them and I got happier because I realized how junky they how much junk they just junk they were they're trash um, the concern is really good knockoffs from good brands because inevitably no name products that knock you off and they're bad quality will happen we have a handful we have a small shelf of them in the office of our card and our key and I'm sure we'll see more so things like intellectual property are important for a company that focuses on product design, 
So we get that where it's relevant and where, where we find it necessary, such as design patents, utility patents, trademarks, and so forth. But at the end of the day, that is, you know, not, not really a full sword or shield. It's not the most protective or best, you know, strategy for building out a company because as a small company we need to focus on our core on our core products and on building stuff and we're not going to be able to go out there and run massive massive you know, intellectual property litigation especially it's coming off of knockoffs from china so just a real commitment to quality growing a great brand and ultimately getting some great distribution partners which connects those three things up so your product quality your product brand with your supply chain and then the distribution channels such as big retailers or, or so forth or your or your e-commerce so doing a really good job at that so even if there are knockoffs they're going to be later and slower to the game do worse on it and have less visibility presence and mind share whereas we're going to be the first mover that has the brand mind share that has the good products that's on the good shelves that has great relationships so being the first mover comes with the challenge and responsibility of solidifying that supply chain and solidifying those distribution channels. And then that's where the opportunity is. And so how much price pressure is there from, from knockoffs and other competitors? Um, are there, is there any pressure to force your prices down? So consumer products price is certainly a component of the whole, of the whole thing. And it's, it's, it's tricky coming up with prices and, and how that all works with, given the cost of something and the cost of innovating and early production and moving forward fast. So knockoffs and so forth, they, they can definitely affect the, the, the market. At the end of the day, the best way to compete with that as a brand is to stand our ground on what we stand for, which is you know, good quality materials, good quality products, you know, excellent quality product manufacturing. And being that first mover, because at the end of the day, if we're innovating new products, you can't. We are the first one to have that out and have that available and to be selling that. So the the knockoffs are always going to be later in the game. So even if it's a not a much cheaper, worse quality knockoff, it's going to be later on down the road. So the the true customers and the the early adopters and the the in in you know the the mass market as well when we're first to to retail and first to to distribution channels, we're the first, we'll be first for our, our category. So establishing that and then following up with it and really nailing that is is important. You take um you take any 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 consumer products and so forth. It's the brands that created things originally. They move forward and we're able to capture the market share and the mind share. So when people think of the product space and they think of portable cables, minimalist charging solutions, they think of a nomad because we were first in what we're doing. We invented our products from the ground up. So we didn't, you know, we, we designed and developed and built them from the ground up. So when people want this product and they want the best version of it, or when they even think of the product at, at, at all, we are the ones that come to mind. Does that mean a bunch of knockoffs will be out there and be sold? Absolutely. And that's okay because that'll only feed people back to us when they want the best thing. So, can you talk about maybe one or two of the biggest challenges you're facing right now in your business? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because there's a lot of challenges I think in an early stage company. Um, it really it's marking about a little over two years now since we started this all since since we've started it all publicly, and you know building out a business is tough. 
you know, um, uh, running a business off of cash flow is tough. There's the challenges of, of hiring for key positions while running a very lean uh, payroll. Um, you know, we're a team of 12 here, and sometimes we feel like we're competing with companies much larger that have much larger teams. Now, uh, we've done a lot with a little. There's great, there's great, um, I'm really proud of what we've accomplished, but at the same time, we often feel like we're, you know, pulling, you know, we're really pushing and pulling a lot, and that can be stressful and strenuating and, uh, or strenuous, and, um, you know, there, there's big, big challenges there. So, uh, so, so, you know, that, that comes along with um, getting into retail and everything that that takes. And there's a financial challenge there of, of, of catapulting ourselves from this direct-to-consumer model where we did 70,000 customers and 100,000 100, units. All these little individual sales, now we're leveling up to being able to do much larger retail and everything that comes with that. And we're getting into real-world big supply chain stuff, which is a lot for a small company. We're totally prepared for it. We're excited for it. And we're taking it on um, and, and, um, and, and uh, build, you know, building out and growing. But th there's the challenge. It's a huge, enormous challenge where we're the small team and we have a full office and brand and company we're building out in San Francisco. And we've got three factories we're working with in China. And maybe we'll use another one soon as well. And we've got distribution relationships that we're negotiating in Minneapolis, we have so many things that we have to do as such a small team that it really tests our mettle and our ability to, to be successful. And I think the fact that we're able to move forward and do that all shows the, what it will take for us to be successful in the long haul, because I know that things aren't just going to slow down and get easier. It's going to continue to do this. So the way that you deal with these early challenges is, I think, what defines the company and shows if the company can be successful to deal with the bigger challenges later. Because even as the company grows, uh, I'm sure Google probably looks at itself and thinks like, wow, we're so resource you know, constrained because we have such big ambitions for ourselves, right? So it's all about those, those ambitions that you set for yourself, yourself uh, in setting those expectations. With, with such a small team, how do you prioritize? Is that, is that a team process or a, or a team effort to prioritize what needs to be done or it has to come... So top down. We do things like I think it's a little bit of both. It needs to be clear what are the priorities because we're working on so many things on customers, on shipping, on logistics, and reverse logistics, and customs and international. The list just goes on. And it takes a little bit of both because all those things are important. So so something like understanding at the core, at the top level down, what is important, getting to retail, wonderful products, um, a great organization. And then making sure that those top-down things make their way all the way through the organization into the shipping and customer service and whatever whatever it might be. So, so and that can get tough because you know we're we're a, we're a small team and we're doing a lot and things like communication are really 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 critical and those are things that I think we're learning a lot about and how to improve things like communication because sometimes the priorities will be clear to certain people. And not others. I can tell you, my co-founder Brian gets the, uh, understands very clearly the importance of product, which is why he's over there in in China for for months on end. And it's and it's you know may, maybe if if you're not if you're not there here in the office, it's it's easy to to forget the importance of what's going on at the core of the company, which is something like product. So 
So it is important to recheck. We meet once a week and go through this and realign and reevaluate and make sure that at the end of the day, you've got to do a lot of day-to-day stuff. That's great. That's what running a business is, and that's important. You don't want to overlook that. But make sure that you sit back, take a look, and understand what are the core organs here that are the most vital organs to the business and make sure that those are being worked on and those are being moved forward because when those don't move forward, everything else lags. So it's really important to identify what those things are and make sure that they're constantly reassessed and readdressed and and and, and cared for. Can you talk about the, the most effective marketing channels for Nomad as of today? So when, when we launched... <laughs> There's above the line and below the line. Above the line is stuff you pay for and below the line is stuff you get for free. And stuff you get for free tends to be stuff like, you know, customers talking about you, sharing you, press, writing about you. We we launched with a tremendous amount of below the line, you know, press coverage and great social media reach out and interacting with people and really sharing our products and with with people. We've done we've had a lot of uh, success with social media marketing and Facebook in particular has been a great acquisition channel. There's some great targeting that you can do. We've done other forms of advertising, things like retargeting. So when you have a lot of people visiting your site, those are people who are likely to be customers because they already checked you out. And if you can, if you can advertise back toward them somewhere, they're more likely to, 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 to become a customer because they've already seen you. They already know about you. They know what you are. They know what you make. So, um, so yeah, we've had, we, we, we do it all. Um, we've done, we've done some little, little, uh, we've got email marketing is great because you're, you're dealing with a customer base or a user base or a subscriber base who cares about you and is curious about what you're doing. So these are people who have indicated a lot of interest because they've already, already purchased from you or they've signed up to receive information about you, but also expanding those channels. So we do a little bit of everything. Um, I have uh, I, I just have a couple of more questions. Ha, uh, let's talk about uh, mistakes because I mean, so far it sounds like everything has been going really smoothly, but I'm sure there have been challenges. So, is there a mistake that was a really good learning experience for you that you could share with our audience? So, when when you're dealing with manufactured goods, in this case, plastics and you know, consumer electronics, mistakes in the literal sense of the word, like a physical, you know, physical mistake in thing can cause serious problems and slowdowns. In the very early days of Nomad, we had a measurement mistake where we measured the connector for the iPhone 4 cable and we measured it slightly wrong. And our product ended up being one one hundredth of an inch too thick or even less than that one yeah i think it was one one hundredth of an inch and because of that (laughs) we had a five-week delay and it cost us many thousands of dollars which at the time we were living in a my co-founder's parents family's house and um in, in operating out of their garage so we were really lean on money and here we were spending uh with a five week delay and a five thousand dollar uh problem and all the problems that come with being delayed, people being concerned about when you're delivering and so forth. So we've really learned about the importance of nailing the details in the product because the things that can slow you down, like a tooling problem or a product problem, those are the things that you they say measure twice, 
putt wants. And it's just totally true. So we've learned the hard way in that sense that to, uh, to not make mistakes when you're tooling stuff, when you're making products, you really need to do everything possible and exhaust all possibilities to make sure that things are going into production uh, with the, the right um, the, the right measurements and dimensions. And it's hard to remember everything because you have to remember, well, does the thing work with all cases? Does it work with all this? Does it work with all that? So you need to have, a real, and we create these over time through mistakes. You create checklists of things to know what to do because there's no master checklist for what you need to do to, to run through everything to, to begin with. You kind of, each company, I think, has to build that out for what they're specifically they're doing in their products. So uh, that was a good example of me- remembering to measure twice and cut once. It can <laughs> big delays. And so what are your goals for Nomads for the next, you know, I don't, I don't even, I don't like five years, you know, just, just you have no clue about what's going to happen. But let's say in the next six to 12 months, what would make you happy with Nomad? Yeah, it, it, down the line, you know, <laughs> I I agree. You know, we obviously are doing everything we can to build this company out to a great brand. I would say an immediate, an immediate goal, and within that time frame, very much so, is taking the step of getting Nomad into retail. That's a huge step for us. We've done the direct to consumer thing, and it's been great. We built out those channels, and we've done all that. But now it's time to take Nomad to the next level. To take Nomad to retail. To get Nomad's products, not just the success and everything we've had online, but going through that challenge of distribution channels and larger orders and purchase orders from big retailers and getting the whole offline retail opportunity, even though I think it's something like 90% of, or, you know, we think of all the the web stuff and web sales and website and retail and so forth, but over 90% of sales and stuff that people buy, they buy it in stores. It's offline retail. So, Online is a great way to start. And for you know, it's scalable in the early days. It's, it's easier to get into, but at the end of the day, that's not the end-all, be-all. And um, there's a huge opportunity in offline retail. It's expensive to, to 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 hack our way into that. So that's our big challenge now. Well, uh, thank you for coming on Success Harbor today, Noah. How can people find out more about Nomad and Nomad products? Go to hellonomad.com and browse around, and you can learn a lot about what we're up to there. And um, we've got some really cool stuff that we're working on. We're continuing to develop out and innovate best-in-class minimalist products for modern nomads. So stay tuned to what we're up to with Nomad, and hopefully you'll see us on the shelves in the coming months when you're shopping in retail. And, of course, you can check us out on our website, hellonomad.com. So everybody out there, uh, check out HalloNomad.com. And thank you very much, Noah. I wish you much success. Maybe you can come back next year and tell us about how Nomad is growing. Well, thanks for having me on, George. And great work with the podcast. And keep it up. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Noah. Bye, everybody.